and Derek Wetmore to the final piece to this puzzle at Hammond Stadium in uh, Fort Myers. So, Derek, how did a day one of uh, Sanogo? go? I, I saw that he had a, I believe it was credited as a base hit, but I saw that he had a misguided throw, actually made one nice play. And then I'll tell you this, because you probably didn't see this. The Star Tribune did a, uh, in fact, there was a Roycey column on Miguel today. And if you uh, get your hands on the paper at some point in time and go to C8, there's a picture of Miguel. Uh, I would say he looks to be about 350 pounds in that picture. <laughs> it's not a very flattering photo of one Miguel Sano. Yeah. He looks like a right yeah. guard. Yeah, and that's being kind because uh, I think you could probably bump him out to tackle and feel pretty confident about your protection. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see the photo, but I've it's seen Miguel all spring. And in the past, we talked about him as just sort of a big guy. You know, he's got his big shoulders, he's got tree trunks for legs, and he's just strong. And I would say he still has that, you know, big kid strength, but there's also, uh, there's also, uh, it invokes the old line that Gardy used to like. You guys ever heard the story about the reliever who came to camp? Jose Mahares. Overweight? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Miha. And somebody says, hey, Gardy, uh, <laughs> Maharis, he got to camp the other day. Uh, did he report to camp in shape? Well, he reported in a shape. Yeah. And, uh, that's sort of what makes, it makes me think of that with, you know, Sano is going to always be a guy who carries more weight around, but this is the first time where I've really felt like this isn't football player big. Yeah. This is kind of like offensive lineman big. So Judd, uh, You've been kind of twisting this needle with me all spring because a couple of years ago I said, no, 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 it's premature to worry about this. You're overreacting. You're panicking over nothing. And uh guess I see where you were going with this now. Uh, so, Wetmore, let's dive into this just for uh, for a minute in that Derek Falvey basically said, so we had Doogie on for a scoop segment last hour. He said the Twins offered, as it was told to him, a two-year deal for between 10 and $12 million to Lance Lynn, and it was kind of laughed at on the Lance Lynn side because they're looking for either a better one-year deal to reset his value or something more on a multi. So, but the, you know, so it sounds like the Twins are, if they can get some good value, they might add another piece, but Derek Falvey said there's a pretty good chance this is the roster that we're going to take uh, in, into the season, where does this put them in your mind? They they're not Cleveland or Houston. They're not the Yankees in my mind. But I think this roster gets them to the trade deadline so that they can add another piece that might help them actually make noise in the postseason. I think it's a playoff team, a wild card team right now. What do you think? Yeah. Did you say two years, twelve million? Yeah. <laughs> what and why? I guess I guess you just have to. Ask every pretty girl if she'll go to the dance with you, and just in case she accidentally says yes or something. But if you're out there with those kinds of offers, you're not getting a Jake Arrieta. You're not getting an Alex Cobb. You're apparently not getting a Lance Lynn. Um, I do think that they're a borderline playoff team, Phil, but I'd be – boy, I, I wouldn't feel confident about that. And and maybe that's just me hedging my bets. You guys know me. I tend to – uh I tend to take the safest routes possible. But in this case, I don't really think they're even in the conversation with Cleveland. I don't think they're in the conversation with the New Yorks and the Bostons of the world. I think they're pretty clearly a step behind those teams. Uh, could you get to the trade deadline and be within spitting distance of a wild card? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's probably the hope for this team right now. But, you know, if, if you think that this is a, a runaway playoff team or one that's going to be fairly well assured of being one of the wild cards in the American League, 
I think that's either overconfidence in the players that you do have or expecting the best-case scenario out of every single player. And, I mean, we've just seen that in the past in any sport for any team. It really doesn't matter. You can get into training camp and say, this is what he can be when he's at his best. And inevitably, a certain number of guys don't even come close to that threshold. So I, I, I see them as still needing to add to be in that playoff mix comfortably. But, you know... It's also baseball, so you could see them sort of hanging around, and if you load up in the middle of July, then that could be a pretty good postseason team as well. Derek, what is the theory down there about all these guys who are still on their couch? I mean, this is, if not unprecedented, it is very odd. And you have a lot of players, not just a few. You've got a lot of players and some big names still at home is there is there a theory in the baseball community down there about how how this is going to shake out because i i can't see these guys all saying you know what i'm going to draw a line in the sand and damn it i'm not going to play in 2018 so what's going to in in your opinion from the people you've talked to what's going to happen here yeah well just to clarify they're not at home a lot of these guys are training at their own independent spring training in bradenton but they're not playing for big league teams is my point yeah, that's exactly right. But like, so take this for example. Logan Morrison didn't start spring training with a club, but he gets here today, and it looks like he hasn't missed a beat. I watched him taking ground balls. I watched him hit every batting practice fastball over the fence, and he's got some ridiculous pop. Um, so it's not like he's starting from square zero and has to come in. With that being said, if you're Jake Arrieta or something like that, I would think now is the time that you start to say, uh, okay, Let's get something done here. And I don't think if you're Arietta or more specifically his agent, Mr. Boris, you're not exactly inclined to just take some percentage of the five-year deals that you were shopping for. You wouldn't be like, oh, well, we wanted seven and 200 million, but now we'll take four and 80 or something like that. I think you'd be much more likely to say, Give me a one-year deal so I can get this qualifying offer thing behind me. We can move on from this crazy offseason. I'll bet on myself, pitch well this year, and then in one of the most loaded free agent classes that any of us can remember in 2019, you'll rejoin the market and hope that teams are actually spending again. That's when the Yankees are going to go out, when the Dodgers are going to go out, and they'll be less afraid of going over that luxury tax, um, which, which should open up the market, I would think. So... I don't know if you do that if you're Lance Lynn. I don't know if you do it if you're Alex Cobb. But I think if you're Jake Arrieta, you could you could you have two choices. You take a discounted deal over multiple years and just say, "Well, this was my last chance to cash in," or you bet on yourself, take a one-year deal, go crush it in 2018, and get back on the market as soon as you can. Derek Wetmore is down at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers covering twin spring training for us, 1500ESPN.com. And a huge thank you to you guys, the Mackie and Judd listeners, and everyone who subscribes to and listens to the Touch Em All podcast. We have shattered our previous monthly download record for the Touch Em All podcast uh, during spring training here. So thank you guys. Much appreciated. And go subscribe and check it out. Derek, I know you had a conversation with Jake Odorizzi. This is what's fun about baseball right now. You've got this, you've got this data war and teams are loading up on information and the best teams are the ones that are able to not only have the best players, but are able to correctly and accurately communicate all of this information to human beings to make them better at baseball. And the twins have had with, with Jeff Pickler and a couple other guys in the organization, they've put some focus on 
former players or coaches who can disseminate that information to the human beings on the field, and maybe it adds wins. Jake Odorizzi was with Tampa Bay, and that's one of the most analytically friendly teams in baseball. So what did he tell you about some of these inner workings, Derek? Yeah, so I'll have a story on this, but the quick version is that Jake Odorizzi is a... he, he gets the stats, he likes it, but he's also quick to acknowledge, hey, you can't just tell me what my spin rate is and say that this is how you pitch and it's game over, plug it into the computer and we're gone. It's still pitching. You still have to command the strike zone. You still have to the hitters and drive the count. You still have to do those sort of things. And what Odorizzi said, the Rays have an interesting way of communicating it. They, they wouldn't say something to you, uh, like take, for example, Odorizzi stuff. They wouldn't say, hey, you've got an above-average spin rate on your fastball, so you should work up in the zone because it messes with hitters' eye levels. But they give you a sort of grade, and and he wouldn't tell me the exact grading system, but, you know, on the lines of you'd say you've got a 9 or a 10 or an 11, and the higher up you go, the more success you're going to have working high in the strike zone and then changing eye levels down in the strike zone. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how his repertoire plays out because his pitch mix is basically fastball, which he can use up or down, and then if he's thrown a fastball up, his curveball comes from the same place, and it's a hammer-down curveball. So yeah. a hitter might be thinking fastball, 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 and jump up to the top of the zone to make the curveball dive under his bat then. And and the last pitch he really uses effectively at the bottom of the strike zone is that split changeup that he learned from Alex Cobb that just sort of starts low and then darts. So I'm just going to be really interested to see how with the Twins he carries that over and uses all their wealth of information to say, okay, what are the best pitches, in what counts, how do I attack hitters, and, and how do I set them up for these different pitches? Because that's really where he got his effectiveness in Tampa Bay. Um, I'm curious to learn more and more about how the Twins are going to communicate that stuff, but the Rays, their basic approach was, okay, we know all the data, we think we can help you with this sort of stuff, but we also know we can't just tell you what your spin rate is and say, oh, you got a 2,400 RPM. So do this guy. It's much more complicated than that, and and you're still working with people who've who've you know learned pitching all throughout their life without needing to know their spin rate. Um, so it, maybe that's too long of an answer to your question, wow. but I think that the big competitive advantage for teams, whether it's the Rays or really, let's talk about the Astros because they're the ones that are doing it really really well right now. It's not just knowing the numbers and and figuring stuff out on a spreadsheet and saying okay we win the World Series. It's knowing them, synthesizing what they mean, and then figuring out how to put an action plan into place that makes your players better, makes them perform at their top percentile. And that's what Houston's done really well. I think New York's doing it really well. I'm curious to see if the Twins put themselves into that conversation, too. Yeah, and you know, and Derek, I think I, I was having a conversation with somebody, a friend of mine who does a lot of this work on the pitching side with another team in baseball. I was having this conversation a month ago, and he said, the way we're trying, we're, we're, we're oftentimes trying to decipher if we know a hitter's weakness, should we go after their weakness or stick with a pitcher's strength that we know a lot about? And that's another delicate dance, too, where, hey, maybe my strength is fastballs up in the zone because I have a high spin rate fastball. Or maybe I have a sinker and a heavy fastball, and so that's my strength. And oftentimes the, the, the pitching guru will have to step in and say, right, but like that hitter... <laughs> Absolute. Look at the heat map. That hitter absolutely destroys that thing that you're trying to do. So you have to be mindful of that too when you're trying to to go about this chess match. 
Yes, and I've talked to a lot of players who are there. I've said this for years that I think Major League Baseball players are uh, cocky sounds like a mean word, but I think it's the only one that fits. They're confident beyond rationality, and that makes sense because if you're not, you don't get here. If if you doubt yourself and if you don't think you're the best, well, maybe you'll get to double A and be a good player, but pretty unlikely you'll be in the show. And with that being said, almost to a man, every person that I ask about that, do you would you put your strengths against his strengths? The answer is always yes. They don't want to go to something that's their secondary stuff. You've heard the cliche, I don't want to get beat on my second best pitch. And it's a cliche because basically every pitcher that I talk to believes that. They can say, hey, I know Brian Dozier is a great high fastball hitter, one of the best in all of baseball, but I work up in the zone. That's just my stuff. And they're willing to take that gamble that Dozier is going to take him deep to left field because this is what I do really well, and sometimes he might pop out. I'm, I'm going to bet that just about every major league player would rather play his strengths against someone else's strength than go to his second or third strongest attribute, even if it's the pitcher's weakness. Uh, and, and that's just a fascinating dance that the Twins are going to get involved in here, too. That was, if you, if you love baseball, that 10 minutes, you need a smoke after that 10 minutes right there, Judd. <laughs> you are, that's inner ball guy Wetmore, stuff right there. Wetmore is talking about my long-held belief that athletes are able to suspend reality in a remarkable way yes. to believe that they can succeed when you say, kid, you got no shot. Yeah. Yes, although I, I have to say, we say it kind of almost making fun of them, but honestly, I'm kind of envious that you just think, hey, I could just call in to Mackie and Judd and just have a great segment no matter what. Hey, Derek, I, you know, Derek, that belief might be, there might be something yeah, to yeah, that. Except, and that's great as long as you're playing, but this is why so many guys fall flat on their faces post-playing careers. Because yes. that belief gets you in trouble in real life. Yes, absolutely. So right. don't then sweat it. Some, continue yeah, to be Mr. Non Zero Conservative. Yeah, <laughs> I will continue to bring my non zero chance takes and uh, save you guys the hot take police button for another guest. All right. Thank you, Derek Wetmore. Bye, Derek. Thanks, guys. Derek, uh, checking in from Fort Myers as he does on a daily basis, giving us an update on the Twins and uh, what he's got on 1500ESPN.com. So check that out.